Um, my name's Chris. I'm one of the pastors here at One Church, and our mission is to lead people into a growing relationship with Jesus Christ. Uh, in this uh, series for the next three weeks, we're going to be talking a little bit about our core values here at One Church. And uh, today we're going to be talking about relational evangelism. That's kind of a big word, so let me break it down for you. We're going to be doing selling souls on eBay. That's what we're talking. How many of y'all heard of eBay? How many of y'all have it? And you just climbed out of a rock. Okay, cool. Thank you very much, ma'am. Um, uh, how many of y'all have ever bought anything on eBay? All right, cool. How many of y'all ever sold anything on eBay? All right, cool. Very good. All right, that's the majority. The 9 o'clock crowd, there was two people. I'm thinking, get a life, people. All right, so, but that's all right. Y'all are a little bit more. Um, today, I want to talk about selling souls on eBay. You know, let me tell you how eBay got started. There was this a graduate student who had a broken uh, laser pointer, and he says, hey, I wonder if I could sell this. So he created a website, a little auction website, put it on there, and it sold for $13.82. And he started scratching his head. It was broken, by the way. He says, I got some other stuff hiding in the couch cushions. Maybe I could sell some of that stuff, too. So eBay was formed. Um, the most expensive thing ever sold on eBay, a yacht worth $85 million. And it was hard for me to part with. I'm going to be honest with you. All right? Hey. So um, uh, another thing, uh, probably the, the biggest thing sold on eBay was probably the World War II submarine. All right? So you thought your neighbor was a little strange. Now you know he's really strange. He's like going through the Cumberland right there. Um, the, some of the strangest things ever sold on eBay was probably the grilled cheese that had the imprint of the Virgin Mary in it um, or Elvis's dental records. That's just a little weird. Um, but one of the things that I want to talk about and where I want to land today is a bunch of people have listed their souls to sell on eBay. Uh, particularly one person, his name uh, was uh, Hemant Mehta. He ended up putting his soul on eBay, and he says, listen, here's what I'm going to do. I know there's a bunch of Christians out there. I'm not a Christian. I'm an atheist. I don't believe in God. But I'm going to give you the opportunity to be able to uh, tell me about Jesus, and depending on how much you bid, I'm going to go to church with you so many times. So uh, he put his soul up on eBay, Hamak Mehta. And uh, he wanted to see, hey, you know, can I get a couple bucks for me? Uh, Jim Henderson ended up buying his soul for $504. And he says, okay, $504. And they decided, they began this friendship, this relationship. And Hamat and Jim ended up going to 12 different churches around the Chicago area. And Hamat is still in this, uh, uh, this journey towards faith. He's still seeking and looking. But Jim Henderson was willing to put $504 down to be able to tell him about Jesus Christ. I think that's pretty cool. And then as I thought and I'm reading about this, I'm thinking, that's kind of cool, but would I have done that? I mean, would I have spent $504 to be able to share the love that God has for me with somebody else? Maybe $54. $504, that's a lot of money. And then I thought, what about you guys? Would you be willing to spend some money to be able to tell somebody about Jesus? Maybe, maybe what about, let's switch it to time. Would you be willing to spend some time and invest in somebody else's life, build a relationship with them, 
not see them as a project, but see them as a person, and be able to tell them eventually your story, listen to their story, and talk about God's story. That's what we're talking about today. Invest and invite. Let's everybody say that. Invest and invite. You see, that's where we're landing. That's one of our core values here at One Church because we believe that everybody should be investing in another person outside of this church and inviting them to be a part of God's story. So uh, I want, let me ask another question. I don't want to talk about human influence. This is really cool. Um, explain a little bit how human influence works by asking you a question. Um, a single lady's in here. What if a stranger off the street pulls you aside and says, hey, listen, I've got the perfect person for you to spend the rest of your life with. He's my cousin Vinny. And uh, in two weeks, I'd like to be able to hook you up on a blind date as soon as he gets out of jail. And, um, I mean, you're going to love him. <laughs> Any takers? Ladies? Uh, what, let me ask you another question. Um, how many of y'all waited home at night, staring at the phone? You just can't wait for it to ring because it might be a telemarketer. And you're a little different, granted. But you can't wait to ring because you want to talk to that person so that they can tell you how to spend your money because you trust their judgment. Anybody like that? No. You know why? That would be a little, you know what I mean? A little different. Here's the reason why, and this illustrates our big idea. Because human influence is based upon relationship. The people, the people in your life, in the, your life that is really, that can pour into you, that if you say, hey, you shouldn't do that, or maybe you should do that differently, or maybe is that the best way to spend your money? Those people that have influence in your life aren't strangers. You don't listen to strangers. Strangers don't influence you. But the people who really influence you are the people that have taken time out and have invested in your life and that you trust and they trust you and you have a relationship. And the deeper the relationship, the deeper the influence goes. That's our big idea for today. The people who invest in us are those who influence us. The people that invest in us Spend time with us, hang out, befriend us. Hey, let's go do coffee at Starbucks. Hey, let's go to Sonic and I'll get you a, a, you know, a, a cherry limeade and we'll hang out and talk. Those type of people, the people that have spent time with us, are the people who influence us. And let me reverse that. If you want to influence somebody, you invest in them. You spend time with them. You hang out with them because strangers don't influence people the more we invest in somebody's life the more we are we, we've earned the right to be heard and we're able to influence that person do you want to know how Jesus and Christianity all started it started with Jesus this carpenter who got 12 other guys around him lived for three years ticked off the religious people of the day so they had Jesus killed and he rose for from the dead, and then he went to be up into heaven to be with God, and just 12 people. Now fast forward that 2,000 years later, 
and there are over 2 billion. Everybody say the word billion. Thank you. 2 billion people who say they have a relationship with God. Now, how did that happen? I'll tell you how it happened. Friends influence friends. Family members influence family members. And the people you invest in are the people that you listen to and you're willing to say, yeah, I'll take a shot at it. I'll take a look. Jesus changed your life? Yeah, I'll listen. Let me tell you what doesn't work. The telemarketers doesn't work. Cousin Vinny doesn't work. And me knocking on your door saying, hey, Jesus loves you. Turn or burn. Bye-bye. That doesn't work. Now, you need to know this. I grew up in a church, and I grew up in churches, and I grew up in a way that that's how you shared your faith. Hey, you're going to be Southern Fraud Damnation. Thank you very much. It doesn't work anymore. Because you know what? I don't have a relationship with them. And they don't know that I love them. And it has to have a relationship because the deeper the relationship the deeper the influence how all of this thing got started and spread from two one person to 12 people to 2 billion isn't because of Christian radio and it isn't because of Christian television it isn't because of a, a televangelist it's because people who have relationships influence people influence other people this Jesus knew this and that's the reason why we're going to be looking at a, a, a passage of the Bible today called Luke chapter 8. Go ahead and start turning there. If you don't have a Bible, it's going to be on the screens. If you do have a Bible, go ahead and start flipping. Luke chapter 8. And Jesus knew this because Jesus is going to meet and invest in somebody who nobody else would touch with a 10-foot pole. This person was an outcast. And Jesus says, you know what? I'm willing to invest in his life. And this person's life changed radically. I mean, night and day, you're going to see. And then Jesus tells him to do something just a little different. Let's go there. Luke chapter 8, verse 26. Jesus is in the boat with his disciples, the 12 guys. All right? And they're in the boat. And in Luke 8, 26 says, So they arrived at the region of the Gesserines, excuse me, Gerasenes, across the lake from Galilee. Galilee is where Jesus grew up. As Jesus was climbing out of the boat, a man who was possessed by demons came out to meet him. For a long time, he had been homeless, naked, living in a cemetery outside of town. Now that right there, that, you got some issues. You're homeless, you're naked, and you're living in a cemetery. So this person is not normal. All right? This is your neighbor. All right? Dude's a little crazy, and he's hanging out in a graveyard. Now, that's important. By the way, what type of people usually hang out in graveyards? Dead people. That's exactly right. I see dead people. Um, people who are dead hang out in graveyards, and that's important. Hear me on this one, because this person really relationally, spiritually, was dead. This person did not have a relationship with God. In fact, it says he was... Uh, he was possessed with demons. There was some supernatural stuff going on there. He had no life. He was as good as dead. Some of you know how that feels. To not have a life, to not have a hope, to not have purpose in life. You just feel like you're existing and you're walking around as the living dead. By the way, another thing I want to camp out on this. The religious people of that day, the religious Jews, they were called Pharisees. Everybody say that word. 
Pharisees. The religious Jews of that day, the Pharisees, had this idea of what can we do to avoid stuff that would bring God disgrace. They, which sounds good at first, but the more you started digging, it started was getting a little weird because they said, you know what, we're not going to hang out with people who are broken, who are hurting. Their idea, how you remained godly was to remain clean. So they didn't want to get unclean. And they, their view of the cemetery was that it was unclean. It was ceremonially unclean. It, so they didn't go to the cemeteries. They didn't hang out. And, they didn't go put flowers on somebody's grave because they would be ceremonially unclean. So they stayed as far away as from dead people and messed up people, people with addictions, people with sin. Their idea of sin is, you know what, sin is something to be caught. So I don't want to catch sin so I'm not going to hang out with sinners. They saw sin as kind of like the virus. You know, there's always that one of those going around, right? The virus. Right? There's something going. They saw it as sin as a, like a planter's wart or um, influenza, the flu, something that you could catch. And they would say, you know what, I'm going to run from that. I'm going to run from sin. I'm going to run from sinners. I'm going to run from broken people. I don't want to get in, in, involved with them because I'm going to get dirty and it's going to get icky. And, you know, I just I want to stay over here by myself being holy and happy. And I got my stuff together and you don't. All right. The, that's, that was their idea. All right. Now, let's continue going. Luke 8, 28, as soon as he, the crazy naked guy living in the cemetery, saw Jesus, he shrieked and fell down in front of him. Now, that's kind of weird. I mean, this dude evidently knew something about Jesus that we, did, we don't or the disciples didn't. So this crazy man bows in front of Jesus and he says this. Then he screamed. He screamed. Why are you interfering with me, Jesus? Why are you interfering with me, Jesus, son of the most high God? That's what he knew that everybody else around him did know about Jesus. Please, I beg you, don't torture me. For Jesus had already commanded the evil spirit to come out of him. Jesus realized that this guy just isn't crazy. He is possessed. And in his mind, Jesus says, you're, you're coming out. And he didn't even have to speak it because he's God. So, I'm going to continue reading. The spirit had often taken control of the man, even when he was placed under guard and put in chains and shackles. He simply just broke free of them and rushed out into the wilderness, completely under the demon's power. Jesus demanded, what is your name? Not wanting the guy's name, but wanting the demon's name living inside of him. And he said this, the demon replied through the man, our name is Legion. For he was filled with many demons. Legion. A, a legion in that time was probably about five to 6,000 soldiers. So there's about maybe about five to 6,000 demons living inside this guy. This dude, he was hurting. He was hurting. He was totally isolated. He was totally alone. They would put him in change and try to just put him in bondage, but he would keep on breaking free because, breaking free because he was under bondage of a different kind. This dude was hopeless. He had no friends. His family abandoned him. His friends abandoned him. And he was living alone in a cemetery. And the religious people says, I'm not going to get close to him. They were afraid of him. And they didn't want to get involved because it was icky. It was dirty. If we get involved with him, then some your messed up stuff may rub off on us. And we're going to become messed up. 
But what does Jesus do? Jesus steps out of the boat and gets on cemetery ground. And not only does that, he goes and he talks to the person. I mean, the religious Jews of that day would have never done that. You don't get involved with somebody like that. That's just going to rub off. And people, they're not going to think you're a goody two-shoes anymore. They're not going to think that you're the church crowd anymore. You don't need to do that. But Jesus doesn't run from evil. He runs towards it. Jesus doesn't run from sinners. He runs towards them. Because Jesus isn't afraid. He knows that nothing's going to rub off. In fact, here's the cool thing. When God runs towards evil, evil flees. In fact, what's so cool is everybody's afraid of this legion dude. Everybody's afraid. Everybody's afraid. When God shows up, who's afraid? The legion dude is. Crazy naked guy in the cemetery is afraid. Because when the, the God who never plays it safe shows up against evil, evil runs. Always. Evil isn't safe in the presence of a God who is not safe. Luke 8.31, the demons kept begging Jesus, please don't, please don't, please don't, kept begging Jesus not to send them into the bottomless pit. There happened to be a large herd of pigs feeding on a hillside nearby. And the demons begged them to let him enter the pigs. So Jesus gave them permission. Isn't that interesting? Evil is having to ask Jesus permission to do something. It's almost like God's in control. Huh. Um, the demons came out of the man and entered into the pigs, and the entire herd plunged down the steep hillside into the lake and drowned. I mean, that's a bad day if you own those pigs. Wouldn't you think? It's the first case of deviled ham. All right? I know. You didn't like that one. Send your emails. Josh at Exit One Church. All right. When the herdsmen saw it, uh-oh, the herdsmen, what are you supposed to be doing? Watching the pigs. And the herdsmen, you know, they turned around. Where's the pigs? All right, and then they see all these pigs bobbing up and down in the sea. Uh-oh. When, when the herdsmen saw it, they fled to the nearby town and to the surrounding countryside, spreading the news as they ran. So Jesus commands these legions of demons out of the man into the pigs and these pigs take a suicide plunge across and into the water let me just say this if you're not on God's page the only other page for you to be on is Satan's page and let me tell you how that ends for you it ends in death let me tell you it, like, okay, I'm not on Satan's page I'm just on my page I'm doing my thing don't tell me, God, don't tell me what to do. Let me tell you, if you're not on God's page, the only other page to be on is not God's page. That's Satan's. And let me tell you how that ends. It ends in death and destruction. Always. Keep on going. By the way, let me say this. In the Jewish mindset, pigs were unclean. They didn't eat pigs. They didn't eat ham sandwiches or bacon or anything like that. So these people are either... Non-Jewish people, Gentiles is what the Bible calls them, raising pigs, or the Jewish people that aren't very uh, religious about their faith. But definitely the religious people, you know, the Pharisees that day, they wouldn't come close because of the pigs, right? Look at verse 35. People rushed out to see what happened. 
So the pigs are bobbing up and down. They're dying. Squeal, squeal. This little piggy, you know, went to the sea. And everybody's coming is looking out. You know, it's, it's like seeing a wreck. You know, somebody has a wreck on the interstate. What happens? Right? All right, you're, you're looking, and, and there's a pileup, and there's evidently there's a 6,000 pig pileup on the, you know, I-24, and it's like, whoa, what happened here? And, every, and uh, crowds are coming. A crowd soon gathered around Jesus, and they saw the man who had been freed from the demons. He was sitting at Jesus' feet, fully clothed, and perfectly sane. And look at this next part. And this doesn't fit. And they were all afraid. Now, you would think they would be afraid because of the way the dude was before. The crazy naked dude living in the cemetery. Now they're going, no, we're really scared now. We're really scared. That's kind of weird. So, keep on going. And those who had seen what had happened told the others how the demon-possessed man had been healed and all of the people in the region of the Gerasenes begged Jesus to go away and leave them alone for a great wave of fear swept over them. What in the world? Jesus just made this crazy weird dude normal again and they're going, get out of here, Jesus. We don't want to have any part of you. And you want to know why they responded that way? Because their economy was hit. Port bellies had just fallen. Seriously. They made their living raising pigs. And God affected their bottom line. They were more interested in making a living than seeing this one person begin a relationship with God. They were more interested in investing in their stock market, investing in their pocketbooks, than investing in people. And they're saying, get out of here. And the religious people were saying, you know what? That dude's messed up. You don't want to be around him. You might catch something. And Jesus says, no, I'm going to go to where evil lives and I'm going to touch him and I'm going to heal him and he is going to be in his right mind. And everybody's wigging out because they're more interested in making a living than investing in the life of someone. You see, the idea, if your idea of it is of avoidance, then here's how you describe being a Christian. And I'm not saying this is wrong. I'm just saying this is how people describe it. Being a Christian is someone who doesn't drink, someone who doesn't chip, dip, excuse me, dear Lord, someone who doesn't dip, someone who doesn't smoke, somebody who doesn't do drugs, somebody who doesn't have sex. And I'm not saying any of those are wrong. But it would be, it'd be almost like me painting a picture of somebody and only painting the outside, you know, the scenery and not painting the face and just leaving that white. Hear me on this one. Christians are known by their fruit, not by their lack of tree fungus or leaf rot. And when you describe Christians as, you know what, they can't do this and they can't do that, no, 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 all right? And never the positive side, then you're giving an incomplete picture of Christ and Jesus. Let me give you an example of this. There's a great church in St. Louis called Journey, the Journey Church of St. Louis. Darren Patrick is the pastor. And they said, you know, we're not going to avoid sin, we're going to run to sin. So their idea was much like ours. Let's reach people nobody else is reaching. Let's do it in an unconventional, different way. We met in a movie theater, so they said, you know what, um, there weren't any movie theaters around, so what are some other places that we could meet? 
Well, and they started brainstorming. Well, there's a bunch of bars in town, and on Sunday morning, nobody's at the bars. Sweet! So they decided they're going to plant a church in a bar because everybody knows where the bar's at that you're trying to reach, right? And no, the bar isn't really getting used at 10 o'clock in the morning unless you're a raging alcoholic, okay? Well, the denomination that this church was involved in freaked out. They said, you know what? You can't do that. I'm sorry, you can't do that. That's not godly. That's not biblical. That's not what Jesus would do. Really? And this church willing to do anything to reach people for Jesus Christ. Their reputation was ruined in people's eyes. You know what? In God's eyes, they're right on the mark. Because Jesus doesn't run from bars. Jesus doesn't run from prostitutes. And he doesn't run from biker gangs or whatever. You know what? Here's the cool thing. Jesus takes bars and turns them into chapels. He takes hookers and turns them into evangelists. And he takes biker gangs and turns them into a gang of people who love Jesus Christ. If you are willing to invest in people that nobody else is willing to invest in, your reputation is going to get taken a hit. Jesus' was. They called him in Matthew eleven nineteen a glutton, a drunkard, a friend of tax collectors, hookers, and sinners. Those are the people that Jesus hung out with. I wonder how come we don't see people like that in here on Sunday mornings. I don't know question verse 37 Luke 8 so Jesus returned to the boat and left crossing back to the other side of the lake the man who had been freed from the demons begged to go with him Jesus my life has changed I am not naked I am sane and uh, you know it's a good day for me I used to be this way and now I was this way I used to be dead and now I'm alive because of you, Jesus, let me hang out with you. L- let me learn from you. Let me, you're in a boat. Let me just get in there and I'll row the boat for you. Let me be your personal boat rower. Let me do this for you. Let me hang out with you. Let me go with you. Let me follow you. I want to go where you go. But look at what Jesus said in verse 38. And this is what's so crazy. Because if I was Jesus, I'd say, come on. Come on. But see, Jesus knew something that I don't. And it's our big idea for today. Look at verse 38. But Jesus sent him, what's that next word? Home. He says, Jesus sent him home saying, no, go back to your family and tell them everything God has done for you. This guy's saying, Jesus, I want to follow you. Jesus, I want to follow you. I want to be with you. I want to follow you. I want to learn from you. Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. And Jesus is going, whoa, whoa, whoa. You need to go home. You need to go home to your family. I'm going to teach you a Greek word today. The word for family and home is the same word, and it's called oikos. Everybody say that. Oikos. Now, in your idea of a home or a family, in this area, one area, uh, the average home size is 3.19. That means you got a mom, you got a dad, you got a a brother, and then the sister's the .9. Right? Jesus' oikos in that day, in that day and age, in that culture, oikos was not 3.19. Let me tell you what oikos was. Oikos was your extended family. It was grandma, granddad, it was your aunt, 
your uncle, your nephews, your nieces, all of your cousins. That takes care of all of Stewart County. All right? That extended family. Now, not only that, not only that, it also does your vocational, the people you have vocational ties. In that day and age, people had servants in their homes, so it included the servants, the servant's spouse, and the servant's children. Uh, it would be like all of the people in your job, all the people in your unit, and their families, their husbands, their wives, their kids. So it would include those. It would include everybody you have social ties to. How many of y'all got Facebook? Okay? Friends. However many friends you got, that would, that, that's an oikos. It would not only include the social or the vocational ties, but it also it was, is the people you did life with, this web of interconnectivity. It was an oikos, we call it today, called your network. That's what an oikos was. And it's not 3.19. It may be 10. It may be 20. It may be 40. It may be 60. It may be 100. But that is, Jesus says, I want you to go back to your network. I want you to go back to your friends, family. I want you to go back to your, your, your Aunt Lucy. I want you to go back to Uncle Ronnie. I want you to go hang out with these people. And I want you to tell them what God has done in your life. You go share your story. You go invest in them because the people you invest in are the people you're going to have influence over. I want you to go there and I want you to share your story. And see, that's why we do it this way at One Church. This is one of our core values. We don't see evangelism. That's a churchy word. It means just to talk, tell other people about Jesus. We don't see it as a Monday night thing or a Tuesday night thing or a Thursday night program. We see it as a lifestyle. It's investing in people's lives and inviting them to be a part of God's story. It's simple. It's natural. And that is what Jesus knew that the people you have time invested in are the people you influence. Look at how it ends. So this man started off to visit the what? See, God told him, Jesus told him, I want you to go to your oikos. And what is he doing? He's going to ten towns. He's going to all of the, he's going, he's going to Cheatham County and Montgomery County and Davidson County. He's going to all these places. And let me tell you what Jesus did for me. You remember me? I was a crazy naked dude living in a cemetery. And look what God has done for me. Hear me, when you meet Jesus, you can't help to talk about him. See, one of the things that we're really stressing in 2009 as a church is we need to grow spiritually in our faith. And let me tell you how that looks. If you're going to grow spiritually in your faith, then you're going to talk about the things you're excited about. It just naturally comes. I'll give me an example. Shoes. I just got these shoes yesterday. And um, a good friend of mine, Luther, who, who does small groups, he put me onto these shoes. Love them. All right? Um, Luther said, hey, you're going to like, I normally wear Crocs, all right? And um, my wife has threatened to throw my Crocs in the trash. So, um, so she, you know, Luther says, you need to try these. I think you're going to like them. And I, I, he, didn't, he didn't push his agenda of shoes on me. You know what I mean? He didn't push his view of shoes. He said, I'm excited about the, these shoes. You need to try them. And see, some of us, we get just, we, we, I can't push what my beliefs on people. We do it all the time with shoes, with restaurants, with stuff that isn't important. How about we do it with something that is very important? And that is Jesus Christ. 
Because people can buy great shoes that feel good and go eat at a great restaurant and still be going to hell. So my question is, are you willing to invest in people's lives or are you just going to continue to say, this seat's really nice. Feels good. How many of y'all are here at one church because somebody invited you? Keep them up. Just any time. The past year, look at that. That's the majority of us. You know what? We've got to continue doing that. Because people need Jesus Christ. And we're not doing it to, to be a big church. God doesn't care about size of churches. We're doing it because people need Jesus Christ. And if you can't invite them to this church, invite them to another church. But invite them into God's story so they hear God's love. And I know some of you think, well, if, if I invite them to church, church isn't going to save them. And you know what? You're right. The church isn't going to save them. But here's what some of you are thinking. I'm, I, can, I can hear your thoughts. I'm a little heated. Um, you're thinking, I don't know enough. Chris, I don't know the books of the Bible like you do. I don't have it all together like you do, and I don't. I, I don't know as much as you do. Let me tell you, this guy that Jesus, this wild, crazy dude, how much did he know about Jesus? Nothing. Did he know the books of the Bible? Had he been to seminary? He'd been to cemetery. Not been to seminary. He had not been to a discipleship class. He had not gotten involved in group link or community groups. He had not done any of that. But what he does know is this. Before Jesus, I was a dead man. And now that Jesus, because of him, I'm alive. And some of you, you just need to share that. You don't need to get all technical. And, well, you know, in the second dispensation of 1 John. You know what? Jesus loves me. And you know what? I'm willing to invest in your life. And I'm willing to leverage my investment in you to let you know that Jesus loves you too. Because you can reach people I can never reach, guys, ladies. I'm not in your mops home group or I'm not in your children's group. I'm not, you know, in the military because um, they would kick me out. I'm not, um, I'm not working at your job. But you are. And God has you exactly where He wants you because He wants you to use your network to tell other people about Him. So we're going to make it really easy on you. I'm going to encourage you as you leave today, we have a bunch of invite cards right outside these tables. And you can pick up one of those, pick up five of those, and invite some of your friends. In three weeks, we're going to be starting on Easter, starting a new series called Confessions of a Pastor. And it's going to be fun. Um, I would encourage you to bring your friends. And what we're going to be talking about next week and the week after next is this. When your story, when your story intersects your friend's story and when you're able to listen to their story, really listen. Not see them as a project, but as a person. When their story and your story intersects God's story, something amazing that only can go glory to God. Glory to God. Glory to God. And it's not about slick presentations. It's not about who says it well. I've got to be honest with you as a pastor, I still get scared when I talk about Jesus. I still get those butterflies in my stomach. And to be, to be honest with you as a pastor, this is one of those areas that I could stop doing and you would never know about it. You'd say, Chris is a great dude. He's a great person. 
Um, and I could just totally just write off, I'm not going to talk to outsiders, people outside this church, people. And I can just be totally focused on people in here. But I promise you, if I became like that, I would be missing God's heart. Because His heart is to seek and to save that which was lost. And how many of us have been lost at one time or another? That's 100%. So it's not about in here. It's, out of, it's about out there. It's about those people on the golf course right now who love Sundays. Because you know what? The Christians aren't crowding up the course. It's about the, the fellow who, who, who's tried drinking his his problems away all last night and he's hungover. We're out to reach those people. Not the safe and the secure, the church crowd, the Sunday school crowd, to reach people that Jesus would want to hang out with. Because that is me. I've got a busted up life. And Jesus still loves me. And he still loves you. Let's pray. Dear God, Lord, this is so awkward sometimes to talk about because what all of us have had a busted up relationship with you at one time or another, God. All of us have had that pain of, I just feel so far from God. And Lord, it's not about slick presentations. It's not about thinking we have all of, the, all of our questions answered before we can start talking about you, Jesus. This fella didn't know anything about you but, Lord, he knew that, you, that Jesus loved him. And because of that, there are people in ten towns all over that area in heaven today whose eternities have been changed because he was willing to say, you know what, I don't know it all, and I don't have all of my questions answered, but I know that God loves me, and my life has been changed. So, Lord, I pray for us as a church, one church, Lord, that we just wouldn't be the happy 400 people in here because your heart and your eyes are for people who don't have a relationship with you and I used to be that person but because of God's grace someone invested in me a punk and invited me to be a part of God's story and my life is my family has changed. My eternity has changed. Will you do the same? God, right now, I pray. Lord, that you would bring some people to our minds. People that are in our network. That are in our oikos. People that we have a relationship with, God. Lord, that you would us to spend time with them, that you would make us want to hang out with them, build a friendship, so that we can earn the right to be heard, so that we can open our mouths one day about Jesus, and that they would listen. We love you, God. It's in Jesus' name.